Hello and welcome along to the Rouge Report, the place for the latest news, gossip and analysis from the world of cycling. As ever, I'm Ollie from Cycling Pulse and I'm here with Pat, YouTube's rising star cycling pundit, Lantern Rouge. What's going on this week, Pat? A lot of sleep deprivation, a lot of world championships action. It snuck up on me a little bit happening midweek, but yeah, I'm excited. Excellent. Okay, let's get into it. So, Pat, let's talk about that then. So, what? You're you're obviously in Brisbane. So, when you're trying to catch up with world championship stuff, what does that mean? That means that you have to do it like really early in the morning. Is that right or something? Oh, it, it it's been so confusing because the the junior the junior time trials were sort of in my late afternoon, early evening. The men's under twenty three was actually my late my sort of evening time, but then the the men's elite uh, time trial is going to be later. So I'm, I'm trying to do, I'm not too great at maths. I'm a lawyer. I'm not, not a banker. And I'm trying to do time zone adjustments to figure out when Roglic is actually setting off tonight. And I still don't think I've got it right. Nice. Nice. Uh, did you get up to anything exciting this last week? Anything noteworthy? Not too much, to be honest. I've been working, been working a lot. Just working a bit. I've been analysing Chris, the difference in Chris Froome's position on the bike between 2012 and 13 and now. <laughs> interesting. Actually, I have been watching some of the videos on your YouTube channel. Very interesting. You know that uh, Umlop at Newsblatt back in 20, when was it, 13 or 11? With, 15, 2015. Sorry, 15 with Stannard and, and the three quick step guys. That was crazy, isn't it? It's a classic. It, it's a classic 3v1 the the strong Tom Bonin and Nicky Terpstra legends of the spring classics getting losing to Ian Stannard the sort of the the quintessential British journeyman yeah it's a classic I, I loved Stannard I just loved the way he has this huge engine um I, I I've seen him race I saw him race live at the Tour of Britain last year and he won a stage and he just He's just got that mental strength and this these just huge thighs and he can just keep powering away. Love him as a rider, proper kind of classic style rider. Um, uh, I just wish he, you know, could have maybe done a little bit more in the classics, classics. But he's had a pretty decent career, to be fair to him. Yeah, one of those guys like even Kwiatkowski and uh, Wild Poles, who, if they'd been on some a team like Quickstep, they would have been focused solely on the classics because that's what he's designed to do. He's, he's he can't get below eighty kilos no matter what he does. So he's actually got an underrated classics Palmares if you go back to sort of twenty eleven. But yeah, he, he sort of had to sacrifice a bit of that for tour and well to success for his teammates. Yeah. If you haven't watched that video, do head over to Lantern Rouge's YouTube channel. It's a real, real good one. Uh, what else? I did something quite interesting this week. Well, not that interesting. I Have you seen the Andy Schleck uh, Tour de France documentary? Um, and it's available on Amazon Prime. So I saw it on there the other day and I thought, right, I need to give this a watch. It's called The Road Uphill. Have you seen that one? I haven't. Do we um, do we even have Amazon Prime in Australia? I'll have to check that. We we get things ten years after Europe. <laughs> Brilliant. So it's about the twenty eleven Tour de France. Uh and it's all focused on Andy Schleck. And you know, he he, he retired quite young, didn't he, Andy Schleck? Only when he was like thirty one. And he had this crazy run of success, um, twenty two thousand nine, two thousand ten, two thousand eleven. You know, he's one of the best G C riders in the world, wasn't he? Tell you what, when you watch this documentary, it, well, it's a really good one for one. 
But first thing you think, he, he did think quite highly of himself, Andy Schleck. He was very confident. I haven't seen it. I don't know too much about Schleck. I do know 2010, 2011, he and Contador were, and Contador liked himself as well. They seemed to be locked in a, a battle because that was, yeah, that was after the Armstrong era, just about. And they were the, the up and coming young GC, GC guys that I didn't know he was, I didn't know Schleck had tickets on himself. Yeah. And it, it, it was one of the first seasons for Leopard Trek, which obviously now Trek Segafredo. They had a crazy team. So they had both Schlecks, so Frank and Andy. They had Fulsang. All right, he was a bit younger, but still a very decent rider. They had Cancellara. They had Jens Voigt, or Vox, however you say it. Stuart O'Grady as well. Really, really strong team. Um, and it's all kind of behind the scenes, on the team bus and everything like that. Very, very interesting. So focusing on the 2011 tour, basically Schleck, Schleck was in yellow before the penultimate stage. And the penultimate stage was uh, a time trial. It was about 45 kilometers long. And Cadell Evans was in third. And I don't know, it's just fascinating to watch. You've got to watch it because you can tell Schleck's scared. So he's got, he's got 53 seconds on Cadell Evans heading in, 57 seconds on Cadell Evans heading into that penultimate stage. And, you know, Schleck wasn't a strong, particularly strong time trialist. And you can see he is just frightened, not looking forward to this 45 minutes of absolute hell. Uh, and anyway, yeah, he went on to lose uh, lose the time against Evans and he, he ended up finishing second with, with Evans winning the, the tour, that, tour that year. But anyway, really, really well done documentary. So if anyone is out there and has Amazon Prime, I'm sure there's other ways of watching this documentary, then, then do give it a watch. Well worth it. Cadell Evans winning that 2011 Tour de France, in it, similar to how the British success in the Tour de France is, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, prompted a, a big uptake in road cycling in the UK. A similar thing, I think, happened in Australia. That, that was a big deal over here when he won that. Yeah, no no doubt. Um, proper kind of all-rounder, wasn't he, Cadell Evans? Kind of strange. Similar. Yeah, and a battler as well. You know, he, he'd been battling for years. Um, missing out he lost the Tour de France I think his margin of victory coming second is he he lost by sort of eight seconds 12 seconds he won by not that much he was you know uh, quite unlucky yeah and he also won the road race at the 2009 world champs which not many people really think about but that's mega right I mean that's amazing yeah anyway enough of Cadell Evans and Andy Schleck Um, so this week, Pat, obviously the World Championships are in full flow. I'm going up there tomorrow for f- for a few days, which is going to be awesome. So going to take in both the men's and women's road races um, and some of the under-23 stuff as well. So can't wait. Um, what should we talk about in relation to the world so far? First up, I thought that the – did you watch the mixed team time trial relay? I watched the highlights. I must confess I didn't watch the full event. Um Please don't unsubscribe from the podcast, but I only watched the highlights and mainly because I thought I was pretty confident the Dutch team were going to win. The Dutch team obviously won, they won the European uh, mixed team time trial pretty handily. They had a really strong team with Balka Molima, Amy Peters, Rihanna Marcus. She actually has a YouTube channel, Rihanna Marcus. So if anyone wants to see the behind the scenes in Mariana Voss and Annemiek van Vleuten's Giro Rosa campaign check out her youtube channel so yeah they had a really strong team and it's an interesting event what do you think of it it's new they're trying to promote it 
I'm sort of 50-50 on. I thought it worked really well, actually. And I like the way that they did the handover, you know, between the, the men and the women. I thought that was done very, very nicely. I thought the whole thing, yeah, was was great to watch on on TV, to be honest with you. Um, and from a kind of British perspective, massive shout out to the to the team because they, they took home bronze, which was awesome. And um, it was kind of interesting because the, 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 the men's contingent of the British team was um, Dan Bigham, John Archibald, and Harry Tanfield. And, and I kind of know those guys a little bit because uh, they're part of a, a track team over here in the UK called Hoob Watt Bike. Have you heard of them? I have not. So very, very interesting story. They, they, there's some really good stuff online. We actually made a kind of documentary about them. But Hoob Watt Bike, bunch of kind of amateur guys, you know, amateur track cyclists just came together and... Um, with this real passion for for kind of you know all about marginal gains uh, aerodynamics really deep diving into kind of performance and analytics and that type of thing they just came together sort of on their credit cards and crowdfunded their journey and within a matter of a, a season or two on the uh, on the world track circuit that is they started beating like national teams absolutely crazy um and such an interesting story. So you've got to find out more about the Hoob Watt Bike guys. Um, so it was great to see them do well, actually, on, on on the road in the time trial, which was awesome. They should have been DQ'd. Were they the ones wearing the, those POC helmets, those blue POC helmets? Yeah, exactly. So Oh, my God. <laughs> Did you not like them? <laughs> I don't know what. I mean, I'm sure there's some scientific background to it, maybe. Hope, I hope, Hopefully. Because they look so bad. They do look bad. <laughs> Maybe they'll catch up. They on. do look bad. They look so bad. But I think I think the point is that Pock don't make that helmet anymore. Uh, but they absolutely love it. And they think that it's like the most aerodynamic lid around. So they're still using the, the, the these weird helmets. And when, when you go and spend time with them, it's crazy the lengths that they, they're they going to for, for all these gains. You know, they've got 3D printed uh, aero bars. Everything is tracked to to a t but this is all on like a really small kind of budget um i know dan bigham who's sort of the the leader of the of the team there he has a background in um uh aerodynamics and that type of thing spent some time with like an f1 team uh so he's all over this stuff um and it's they're doing some really interesting stuff put it that way and first of all they've won um track world cup races um, and now to see them winning bronze, albeit for Great Britain at the World Championships, I, I, it's just so cool, so cool. So who, what bike? If anyone's interested, go and go and check them out. Well, one last note on the mixed relay: apparently, about two thirds, sixty-six to seventy percent of the overall World Championships prize money went to the mixed team relay. I, I saw this on Twitter. Maybe it was La Flamme Rouge on Twitter. So. Uh, they're obviously investing in it, the UCI. They're trying to promote the event because you, you've got to have, for an event that doesn't have the prestige of the other events yet, you need to provide money as an incentive for the big riders to come. And, you know, Germany's Germany's team had Tony Martin, Yasser Sudlin and Niels Pollitt and, you know, Lisa Bernal, Lisa Klein. So big name, same with the Dutch team. So I, I guess it worked, but I was surprised to see that was the level of uh, sort of reward. Yeah, I saw that graphic going round on on social actually. So, so hold on. So, uh, so 
for each team, the prize money for the for the winning or the podiumed teams was was bigger than any other of the events. I think overall was one hundred sixty thousand euro was for various positions in the mixed team mixed team relay, with the winning team maybe splitting sixty thousand euro between the six of them. Oh, nice! I think fifty six thousand euro, and then the re- so the rest. The rest of the race has made up the other eighty thousand euro. I'm just taking these numbers off the top of my head. So yeah, a, if you won the mixed team relay, you would have made more money, even splitting it by six, than I think winning the overall men's elite world road race championship. The winner of that. And do you know what the kind of etiquette or tradition is with with world championship prize money? Do you have to kind of share it with your with your team and the support staff and everything? I think it, it must be that because especially a team of six almost add add three support people or two support people per person. So that's another team of 12 behind them. I, I would assume the etiquette is to, to put the money back into the team. It doesn't go straight into the riders' pockets. Ooh, that's interesting, isn't it? Interesting that they're trying to... Clearly, they're trying to make a concerted effort to promote this, this new new discipline. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, and it's, I guess seeing which overall country has the strongest uh, time trialing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Very good, very good. Um, so moving on then, uh, did you see, Pat, did you see the men's junior time trial? Um, so that was on Tuesday. Uh, and the winner of that one, this chap called Antonio Tiberi, I think he's only 18 years old. Um, but so he... he he started, didn't he? And literally, as soon as he got to the end of the the start ramp, his, his, his crank broke. So he had to change his bike, right? You're watching this on TV. You're thinking, oh my days, that is like the worst luck. Takes a little while for him to get that bike changed through. Anyway, gets back on the bike, gets going again. Halfway through, you got, he suddenly gets held up by another team support car, like properly held up, you know? I, I Absolutely crazy. I don't know what must have been going through his mind at this point. I would have just been like so put off and just thought, oh, Jesus, I'm, I'm done. Um, and then he went on to win the thing. Crazy. Yeah, only by eight seconds. So it was, it was touch and go. Imagine how if he'd lost by five seconds, he lost way, way more than five seconds with those two incidents. And he's lucky not to crash because when, I, when, I, when you look at the power data from a professional rider's time trial when they come off the ramp or start their initial watt spike especially he's probably a little bit bigger than some other guys as time trial specialists their watt spikes like 800 watts 850 watts so they're not just gently tapping on the pedals and he's basically detached his left crank from the bike um, and then he struggled to unclip as well he, he seemed to not yeah he seemed to struggle to unclip so he was lucky not to go over the handlebars especially as he's going down a ramp and then the most calm ice in his veins, just quietly. No, was it Bradley Wiggins who threw his bike? Um, he just <laughs> gently placed his team, his time trial bike against the car and got another one. They even swapped the water bottles over, um, make sure they got the aero bottle in the new the the backup bike, and off he went. So I guess they just they got a game plan. Stick to the game plan. All he's thinking about is just sitting on a number, sitting on the watts he's going to do in contrast to Chloe Diget, uh, which we'll get to. 
Yeah, but still, it takes a, a a real, real mature kind of presence of mind to to regroup after that so soon after you're starting, um, and 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 just to refocus. I mean, you know, because you're so pumped. You know, these guys, you can see them on that start ramp, absolutely in the zone, and then within eight seconds of the start, it, it's it's everything's completely out of kilter, right? Very, very impressive. And he'll probably be he'll be up there for the under twenty threes next year because a lot of the under twenty three guys are graduating from that age group. I think Mikel Berg maybe maybe is he's won it three times in a row, so definitely a rider to watch. Yeah, for sure. Actually, on that point, someone someone shared something with me, just saying it, it was about the performance gains when you when you use a just an aero bottle, right, compared to a compared to a normal bottle. And I'm just trying to find that graphic just now. Oh, here you go. An aero bottle. So I don't know over what length this is, but at 45 kilometers an hour average, I assume it's normally over like a 40 kilometer time trial. Yeah, it's normally 40 k's an hour, 45 k's an hour over 40 kilometers distance. Yeah, this says that you're going to save 52 watts just by having an aero bottle cumulative so that's probably one watt a minute yeah but that's that's crazy i right i mean i, I don't i don't know anyway that was what someone he, he's all over this type of stuff apparently anyway um the thing is if, if you're if your functional threshold power is say 380 watts and to win the race you need to do 385 and you can only do 380 and one watt a minute doesn't sound much but if you can add up five different things like that aero bottle, well, there's your five watts, and then now you might actually win the race rather than coming third. So at the top level, it it does matter, things like that, helmet selection, all everything, everything you select matters, and that's why teams like that Great Britain team with a lower budget, it is much more difficult for them to, to win unless they're really smart. Presumably there's a saving... Presumably they like having the bottle on there because it provides additional aerodynamic benefits versus having no bottle i, I wonder it must be the the, the sort of the tailing effect of mm. the wind coming around the frame and it provides a longer surface for it to i mean when are we going to see frames where there's no cutout in the middle between the down tube and, and the top tube if, if mm. it becomes like one big disc wheel <laughs> maybe it'd be too heavy okay. that, that would be more aerodynamic yeah but could you imagine if the wind caught that <laughs> Oh yeah, true. That's pretty bad. <laughs> that with some like deep section wheels, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, but do you want to win? <laughs> do you want the gold medal? <laughs> that is the question. Anyway, for all of these types of queries, who, what bike guys are your are your go to? So Dan Bigham on Instagram, shout out to him. At who, what bike? He 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 knows all this stuff. So give him a send him a DM. Um. Right then, Pat. So that was the junior ITT. Super impressive from Antonio Tiberi. Just to pick out as well, the women's. So this is the women's elite time trial. Won by Chloe Digart owen Did you did you watch that one? Yeah, that I did watch this one because this was an unreal performance. I think two. There's, there's, one, there's one video where it shows her passing one of the other riders and it's like they're in a different... It's like one's doing, you know, when there's the professional that gets paid to come to a local Grand Fondo. <laughs> and <laughs> seriously, it looks like that. It's crazy what she must have been putting out. She's really – she didn't she win four stages in the – and there was a Colorado race, I think, in the last month. 
a race in Colorado, a women's race, and, and she just crushed it. She won like four stages in a row. I think I'm getting that right. And she's, she's pretty strong. She's like a little bit heavier than the other women, I think, especially Annabeek Van Vleuten, who's very skinny, GC rider, obviously won the Giro Rosa. So uh, Diger's just got that raw power. It's a flatter course. And she made up most of all, gained most of her time advantage on was Anna van der Breggen that came second, I think, on, on those flat sections where her raw power just, just crushed it. So so I first became aware of Chloe Diger Owen earlier this year because um, Zwift, uh, there was the first ever professional esports league that was run on Zwift earlier this year. And one of the teams taking part, they had women's and men's, one of the pro women's teams was Showa 2020, who Diger Owen rides for. Uh, and she won. She only took part in a couple of the races, uh, and 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 she won both that she took part in. So she suddenly she kind of caught my attention. I was like, "Wow, she seems pretty strong." You know, she's only only twenty two now, and then she goes and do, does this. So to put that into context, this was the biggest winning margin ever in a time trial at the World Championships. So it was one minute thirty three seconds clear of Van der Breggen in 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 silver. Uh, Chloe Dyer Owen, like I said, she's young. She has this massive track cycling pedigree. So she's won, I think, six world championship golds on the track at 22. And yeah, she looks like the, the, the real deal, you know? So maybe a hundred percent surely got to be the, the one that kind of takes over from the, the dominance of all, of all the Dutch women, um, on, on the road. Yeah, like Van Vleuten and Mariana Vos are a bit older, so they're, they're in their late 30s, I think. Anna van der Breggen's not as old as them, but yeah, they're in their 30s, so really looks like Chloe Daigado and could be dominating sort of classics races and fighter races for a long time. She's probably the best American cyclist in the world right now. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Um, did you see the rain as well? <laughs> I thought the rain wasn't as bad for the women's race. So she, Chloe Dygott Owen, beat the majority of the under-23 men in times. Um, I think, I mean, there's not, it's not an apples and apples comparison. That's not the point of what I'm saying. I'm just, you know, a lot of those guys are six foot six men putting out, they have FTPs of like 450 watts. So I think that shows how the conditions were really, really bad for the men's under-23 race and it, they slightly improved for the women's race but it was still really bad and and chloe died on she said she didn't ride to power at all just rode on feel don't know if i believe her uh, i'm waiting for her to upload the strava file if she does just to see if she does have a smooth whether she was able to ride to power ride to feel sorry very smoothly without having to look at a power meter you'd probably expected to be able to and measure her effort that way i saw that actually yeah i saw that she came out and said that she she intentionally decided not to ride with a power meter um little does she know that there's people like you pat out there just waiting for her strava ride to be to be released well i actually think it makes a lot more sense in the wet and it's a question i'm gonna i have a call later with the danish rider the european under 23 individual time trial champion uh, Johan Price Pedersen, he, he's the guy that crashed into that massive puddle. And the question is, do you have to throw your sort of power, your power plan out the window in a wet time trial, a really wet time trial, because you're not going to be able to pedal for as long 
as if it was dry. You're gonna there's gonna be many more occasions where you have to stop pedaling, brake, because uh, you're just trying to stay upright. And then how does that affect? Because then you're not gonna have a flat power file. You're gonna have up and downs, and it's more of a series of anaerobic efforts. How does that affect your plan? If if normally on a flat time trial with not too many corners, you just say I sit on this number the whole time. You can't do that. And I think that's maybe why. Chloe Dargado and did choose to ride without power and it definitely paid off. Yeah, clearly. I'm just thinking when I don't know, do you ride with power when you when you're training and stuff? Yeah, I pretty much look at I am literally like Chris Froome. Yeah. <laughs> I just I stare at STEM. Yeah, that, exactly. <laughs> and I still see. Exactly. I, I I do exactly the same, but sometimes <laughs> you know when you're just sometimes you just can't quite hit that the, the, hit that target power for whatever reason and it just like makes you depressed <laughs> it's ridiculous I'm, I'm actually stopping doing it i'm like what, what i'm 26 years old and i'm like i'm rubbish like why am i why am i trying to hit a number why don't i just cruise around in you know beautiful sunshine and actually enjoy myself i agree i agree <laughs> these are the questions that keep me up at night <laughs> um yeah i mean that is the uh the way of the amateur cyclist these days i guess pat you know so you want to talk about the under-23 men's individual time trial? This is the one that really, I think, broke the internet. Yeah, go on, very quickly. So this was probably, I I've, I put up a poll on my YouTube channel last night to say, well, because I thought initially I was watching the, like a Eurosport were putting up a preview for the Tokyo 2020 50-meter freestyle event, but it actually was <laughs> the under 23 time trial it was ridiculous people's people saying a lot of yorkshire people on twitter saying oh listen lad it, it's only a puddle you know it's not that much water i was like that, is, that is a flood Pat, that's the worst <laughs> yorkshire accent i've ever heard that was scottish okay 100 percent spot on northern english accent there <laughs> anyway yeah it was there, there was literally there was standing water across the whole road and multiple guys crashed the hungarian um podium contender crashed i think vatch level whatever his name is the as i said johan price pedersen who was a podium favorite crashed into a massive puddle he put up a very funny a meme immediately got made of his crash because he was after he crashed he was sitting in like a knee deep water and he put up a meme on his instagram you should check it out it's pretty funny that he actually saw the humor in it so i thought that was unsafe i put up a poll poll Half the people said it should have been postponed and about 33% said there just needed to be better marshalling and 20% of people said these little millennials just need to harden up. It's only a bit of rain. It is an outdoor sport, right? It is. <laughs> Actually, that meme, yeah, I did see that meme. It was pretty funny, to be fair. Um, Alex Dowsett uh, posted that meme on his Instagram account as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, check it out. He, he's obviously competing to day because today is the men's time trial that's going to be super interesting um yeah so rain was causing havoc flooding was causing causing havoc that was the under 23 men's time trial pat bearing in mind the road race is this sunday do you want to talk a little bit about um what what you know your thoughts on that i i think you wanted to talk about the the belgian lineup right yeah, so this is this race I see is pretty. What I think is going to happen is pretty obvious, or should happen, and that's Belgium have selected a team, the sort of the opposite to Team Sky. How Team Sky select a team to control pace on the front and um, 
have, have everyone in a line. Belgium's the opposite of that. They're going to have, they've selected a team of six or seven attackers. Remco, even a pole, you know, 100 kilometers long suicide solo break in the Deutschland Tour breakaway specialist. Tim Wellens, he won the Burbanchi Pale, which is uh, a Belgian sort of semi-classic, which many compare to the parkour in Harrogate because very technical, tight streets, some sharp climbs. Tim Wellens won that in 2018. He's an aggressive rider. Uh, Gilbert as well. I think Greg Van Avermaet has been picked just in case it does come down to a sprint at the end. If it does come down to a sprint, he's not beating Van der Poel or Sagan if they're still in that group, in my opinion, based on his legs this year. So I think Belgium, if if they actually work together, if they commit to the plan, they should be attacking and getting in every break as much as possible. they got De Klerk, the big quick-step guy. He, he will be their engine to bring breaks back if there's not a Belgian rider in it. But their idea is to, from far out, tire out the Dutch team, make Van der Poel work early. And the same with Sagan, trying to isolate them because Van der Poel and Sagan are the, are the clear first and second favourites in the betting market. And then Gilbert's the third favourite at about 12 to 1. That, just quickly go through the Belgian team. It's crazy, right? It's very, very strong, but it's still not... Their chances are not well represented in the, in the betting markets, which I think is a function of people not thinking that... Like, does... Does Greg Van Avermaet or Gilbert really want to set up the other for victory? They're not on the same trade team. I don't know. Do they? Is that what they really want to do? If I was them, I wouldn't care that someone's on my country. Um, and they probably think the same thing. So it's, yeah, Gilbert, Greg Van Avermaet, Remco Evenepoel, Tim Wellens, De Klerk, as I mentioned. Let me just sort of look up the other guys. Jesper Stoyven was the, was the notable emission. So Jesper Stoyven had a big end of the year he won the Deutschland Tour but I th- oh they have Dylan Turns as well who won Welter he's obviously a um, breakaway specialist Yves Lampert big engine breakaway specialist and Oliver Nyson who is Parry I think he he, he was Milan San Remo runner up and he, he can he likes a hard finish to a race and can get, win a sort of reduced bunch sprint so it's a massive team all those guys are quality riders and can win from from a breakaway, and that's why I think Jasper Stoyven rightfully didn't get picked. Yeah, I mean, super strong. So you reckon it's going to be really the the excitement is going to be between them and and the Dutch team? I think so. Although I, would, I just want to pat myself on the back, uh, if I, if I may. I think I believe sure. last week I said Alexei Lutsenko is a rider to watch, and he promptly won just about every race he was in in the last week. So. He's come in, he's a bit of a dark horse now, the Kazakh national champion, Lutsenko, and they'd be wary to let him get away in a break. He can go from far to, uh, so yeah, Trenton, it's whether, if the race pans out in a way that allows Matteo Trenton to still be there at the end, it means that Matthew van der Poel and Sagan will still be there at the end, and he's not going to beat both of them, in my opinion. So... It really depends how the race turns out. I'm not sure, you know, Colombia didn't even... Sergio Aguita, the Vuelta stage winner, the sort of revelation, the five foot two, he's got a big kick Colombian guy for education first. He's racing in the under 23 <laughs> race, I think. And he would have been he would have been the men's elite Colombian best rider for the, for the world championships because yep. Gaviria's pulled out. Yeah. 
Anyway. Anyway. It's going to be a big race. Really exciting. Why is no one talking about Alaphilippe, by the way? No support, I guess. I mean, Tomo Vaucler is the he's managing their team, and I always thought he was a bit of a, an idiot. But he actually says some really smart things, and has said some really smart things about about the race. And he seems like really level headed, which is kind of a shock. If you read what he said, he said, you know, this is a big race, but if Julian doesn't win, you know, it doesn't make or break his career as a young guy. Um, it's very level header from Vaucler. So he actually, they, they picked Alaphilippe first and then the French team picked the riders around Alaphilippe. The problem is if a Belgian break goes with Oliver Nyssen, Lampert, Dylan Turns, Van Avermaet, Gilbert and Evnepoel, for sure that Alaphilippe will be able to get into that break or that reduced group, but what other French riders could be there with him? True. I'm just going to put it out there. So if it's not Vanderpol, I think it could be Trenton, you know. Really? Okay, fair enough. We'll see, huh? We'll see come Sunday. If it is, I'm I'm going to message you like immediately. Oh yeah, like the minute the minute he's sort of in a breakaway of 5 in the last 10k's, you'll be saying you'll say this is it. Exactly. Exactly. He's a he's a beast. I really like Trenton as as a rider generally. Big fan. Yeah, oh, I got a soft spot for him because he's a Michelin Scott rider, Australian team. Nice. Uh yeah, so what that I guess that's the men's road race. What about the women's? Did you have any insight into that one particularly, Pat? If the, the the Dutch women have dominated the world championships road race for a number of years now. Anna van der Breggen, uh Chantal Black, I think won in 2017 in Bergen. So in Doha in 2016, if I can go on a bit of a tangent, I think there was a shift where in Doha, it's a flatter course, and the Dutch riders rode to set up their sprinter. I, I can't remember. Her name escapes me, but she wasn't. You basically had the best women, female riders in the world, Van Leuten, Mariana Vos, Van der Breggen, setting up this sprint for um, their sprinter, and she didn't win. She lost to Danish rider who won the world champs in 2016. And then I think... It must have been um, Kirsten, Kirsten Wild willed over this set. It was, yeah. I think that's right. And I think they realized, why don't we just play to our strengths and actually get into breaks, attack, get a reduced bunch, and then have three three women in the bunch and then attack them. That's what they did in 2017 when Chantal Black won. She was in a break with Voss van Vleuten and Chantal Black attacked and no one was strong enough to bring her back. Then van der Breggen, long, oh, long break last year and, I think Amanda Spratt came second, the Australian. There was no one to help her bring her back. So it really is. This parkour suits Mariana Voss and Van Vleuten and Van der Breggen perfectly. So I'd be really shocked if one of them didn't win. Yeah, it will be very interesting. Very interesting. So, yeah, I'm I'm going up there. So if anyone's listening, uh, I will be there in Harrogate um, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You can check out. Check out the Cycling Pulse Instagram account, actually, because I'll try and, um, you know, get behind the scenes with some with some story action um, and, and see what's what. Hopefully it won't be too wet. That's my chief concern at the moment. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit jealous. I'm, I'm just stuck here in the wrong time zone. It is sunny in Brisbane, but I, I kind of wish I was watching the World Championships. Maybe next year. Maybe next year, Pat. Yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll get you over. Uh, so that's the World Champs for this weekend. Um, so just finishing up then this week, Pat, just on some kind of tech stuff, if anyone's been 
following it. So this week, Wahoo. Wahoo bought Speedplay. So Speedplay make the pedals, obviously, very well-known pedals. I think most of the pros use Speedplay pedals, don't they? Um, interesting kind of development, actually, because the rumor is that Wahoo want to develop a, uh, a pedal-based power meter. Um, now, Wahoo also bought the Sufferfest, the online training platform, the, earlier this year. And I think it just all points to this kind of consolidation and a very, very competitive sort of power slash indoor training market uh, where you have these, these big brands that are looking to kind of align themselves kind of vertically. So you have everything you need you know, within that one brand's ecosystem, if you want to start training indoors or if you want to start training with power, that type of thing. It's a very interesting space at the moment. And I think if anyone's interested in kind of training with power, pedal-based devices, those are the future. Um, so at the moment, I guess the, the big player, the big players, you know, your, your Garmin Vector 3s and your PowerTap pedals. Um, others to consider, Favero, Favero, the Italian brand, they do an amazing pedal-based power meter called the Asioma. That's really, really well reviewed and and respected in in the industry. Um, I think Look teamed up with SRM to do a pedal-based power meter last earlier this year or something. But anyway, the point is, pedal-based devices are really cool because you can just swap them between bikes, that type of thing, very very easily. Um, historically, I think they weren't able to maybe nail the accuracy as well and they're a bit clunky uh, but they've really kind of refined them so they're much smaller and sleeker more streamlined etc now um but yeah just as a general point wahoo on the acquisition drive um again um so what else happened we had tax yeah earlier this year garmin bought tax didn't they so you've got these big big yeah yeah big players now all acquiring these these other kind of complementary brands you know so if you look at garmin you look at wahoo you've got zwift obviously zwift uh zwift are doing some really cool stuff there's rumors about them you know trying to develop their own hardware you know their own smart bikes and that type of thing um so clearly a really really big and growing market isn't it the indoor training and power uh, power meter market I have a 350 Australian dollar stages first generation power meter in the opposite Ultegra color to the right hand drive side crank set and it still works somehow. You're lucky though, Pat, you don't have that first generation where in a country where it actually rains, right? Because the whole, do you remember when they came out? Well, if it rains, I don't ride, so... <laughs> <laughs> so when they came out, you know, water kept on getting into the battery. So everyone was complaining. Yeah, the battery cover was, the seal was terrible. There was no seal. So <laughs> right, um, <laughs> it's kind of a problem. There you go. See, I've got a stages on my, on my winter bike. And to be honest with you, I've never really had any complaints with it. Like it works really well. The only thing is obviously it's a, just left-sided only. So it's not super accurate because it just doubles the reading to give you your total power output. That, 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 that's all. I think the pedal ones are the future. I agree, mainly from putting my utilitarian hat on, just being able to take them off and change them between bikes is just so useful and not having because crankset compatibility, it's one of the other things that probably makes my blood pressure go pretty high is different cranksets, different bottom brackets and all that. It's so annoying. Um, so having pedals that 
you know, there's one pedal standard for road bikes. So if you buy, you invest in a power meter pedal, pedals that have power, well, that's fine. It doesn't matter if you break your bike, have to get a new one, get a new crank set. So I agree. I think they are the future. And if I upgraded to a new set when the stages eventually dies, it would be pedal based. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see what Wahoo do with Speedplay because obviously the Speedplay pedals are tiny. Um, I don't know if they've got the technology yet to kind of integrate a power meter into that type of unit, but who who knows? We shall see. Majority of sort of the Speedplay body is actually on the cleat. The cleat is double the size of the pedal, just about. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They are pretty chunky, aren't they? Um, cool. Well, I think that's it for this week. Pat, short and sweet. Um, World Championships, you know, the main events are this this weekend. So I hope everyone's going to tune in and watch it. Uh, we can dissect using Pat's incredible analysis next week. We can dis- dissect some of the action. Um, and yeah, you know, see you next time, everyone. See you next week, Pat. Um, I hope you can get out on the bike this weekend and stuff. I will do. I've still Operation Adelaide keeps going, so I'll be investigating that further, putting my detective hat on. I think Ollie, you you let me know offline that Stefan Danafil's being he's been charged as well, and is accused of what spending five hundred thousand euro on doping products. So that's one to to keep an eye out for on the in the Twitterverse. But other than that. Yeah. We're we're waiting for your you know, twenty page report on Operation Adelaide. Pat, please. Yeah, the Austrian authorities haven't contacted me yet for my actual formal input, but I'm waiting with bated breath. Brilliant. Excellent. Uh, We can always rely on Pat, huh? Cool. All right, guys. Well, we'll see you next time uh, next week. See you all. Enjoy the world champs.